everything that moves. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown. Welcome into week 10. Week 10 of the Eagle Eye in the Sky football podcast. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. With me here, as always, at the Novacare Complex, it's Tuesday night. We're recording this NFL film senior producer, Greg Cosell. Greg, I just, I can't believe it. It's week 10. Uh, oh, I can believe it. Because I mean, last week, Friday afternoon, it kind of hit me that I think I need some rest this weekend. Yeah. So I can believe it. Well, did you get the, uh, you got the extra hour, thankfully. Uh, yeah, I did. Of course, that meant I woke up at four in the morning. I, I didn't get out of bed, I'm, of course. But, I'm with you. Know, you. Yeah, well, yeah. well, the problem is, is that I, uh, so we, obviously the daylight savings time ended on Saturday night and that was the hour we're supposed to get the extra hour of sleep. Well, like you, I woke up at my normal time. My right, body right. woke me up and I came into work. Oh and, boy! And I so I came into work and I got a jump on this week's show, and my editor I'm emailing my editor you know a bunch of different things for the show and he's like, man you're you're ahead of the game this week and I said, well what did you do with the extra hour sleep? I, right, I, I right, went to right. work. <laughs> so it's you know it's, it was good I got 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 an extra jump but I could definitely start using the rest here coming up. So uh, again it's week ten Eagles are six and two uh, through eight games. I mean you got to be happy if you're an Eagles fan really with just the way that this team has come out in the first half of the season. Obviously, the win down in Houston this week came with its uh, disadvantages. Obviously, you lose Nick Foles, you lose D'Amico Ryans. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. What did you think of uh, Mark Sanchez in his first outing as an Eagle? I thought he was up and down. I thought that he made some very good throws. The touchdown to Matthews was a big-time throw. It was a defined coverage, but it was a big-time throw. Um, I thought he did some good things, but he also missed some throws. When I when I watched the tape, uh, I saw a couple of things that I hope we don't see a lot of going forward. I thought he missed some throws with inaccurate ball placement, and he could have thrown easily two more interceptions. And as we know, one of his issues in the past has been decision-making. Now, the positives are that he's a quicker-footed athlete than Nick Foles. Theoretically, he fits Chip Kelly's system maybe a little better because of the movement. Not that all of a sudden you're going to run a ton of read option plays and he's going to get on the perimeter, but you can do a little more boot action, a little more of that, get him outside the pocket where he throws the ball pretty well. thought he did a nice job of that on a 24-yarder to Matthews Absolutely. as well, which was a very nice designed play. He Even at USC, one of the positives when he came into the NFL was that he had movement. Um, but I think that it, it'll be – Interesting as we go forward, Fran, to see his decision-making. And I've always felt, and maybe the system will help take care of this, I always felt he had a tendency to play a little fast and a little frenetic. And I think it's a wait and see, to be honest with you. It'll be interesting to see because he he actually he talked with Dave Spadaro today on uh, Eagles 360. Uh, he gave an ex- exclusive interview for the show. And it was interesting the way he talked about the offense and how a lot of the offense's strengths and a lot of the things that – the Eagles have done since Chip Kelly has arrived really kind of fit his skill set. Just the, no you know, question. The, a lot of the things right. in terms of getting out on the perimeter, a lot of the drop back concepts, uh, obviously a lot of the you know the QB run stuff as well is, is something that he can pull off. So I'll be really interested to see with a full week and change of uh, him getting starters reps and being you know preparing to be the guy. Not that he wasn't before, but preparing to be the guy. Right. I'm interested to see how it comes out against the Carolina defense that they should be able to move the ball. You know, and, and it's funny you mentioned Carolina, and just to jump to that for a sec, since it makes sense here. They're not one of those defenses that has a lot of mystery to it. 
They're a team that plays predominantly zone. Every once in a while, they mix in some man, but it's not that many snaps a game. Uh, it's mostly zone. They're not very good in the secondary. Uh, they have not been able to generate any kind of consistent pass rush this year where they're down for. They're not a high-percentage blitz team. Every once in a while, you get Luke Keekley and Thomas Davis in the A-gap with that double A-gap look, and they may blitz out of it or they may not, but they're not really a big blitz team. So it's a defense, as you prepare, that doesn't have a lot of mystery to it. And the players in the secondary are they're playing with some – I don't want to say lower-level players because there's certainly been free agents who've played great in the NFL and gone on to great careers, but they're playing with guys who are not high picks. They're now playing with James Dockery at nickel. I don't know if Benny Benwickery is back. He's been injured for, oh, at least four or five weeks. James Dockery came from Oregon State a few years back. He's a free agent. Uh, they they benched um, Antoine Quezon last week at halftime and then went back to Melvin White at corner. Who was benched earlier in the year. Who was benched earlier right. in the year. So... You know, it's a secondary that's that's a beatable secondary without a pass rush. Yeah, I mean, really, the obviously they they do still get a pass rush. I think they got twenty sacks on the year, but really they've been unable to sustain a consistent pass rush without blitzing, and that's something that they didn't have to do last year when they had Greg Hardy in there right. and Charles Johnson was able to you know do his thing. It's you know, if you're a Panthers fan, you're disappointed with that. Uh, Colin Jones was getting some reps in kind of like a big nickel. Yeah, which was interesting, too. The last two weeks, they've yeah. gone to this big nickel, and Colin Jones is really a safety masquerading as a linebacker, but he pl- he pretty much plays, I don't want to say over the slot, although he sometimes is there. He's more like kind of uh, he's half a man, so to speak, between the slot and, and the box. Right. So, I mean, if you look across the board, this team is given – up some yardage in the run game. Obviously, we've talked about some of the issues in the back end. So I think the Eagles will have some opportunities to No move question. The ball. They'll have to find a lot. I think this is – on the blackboard, this is a good game for Mark Sanchez in his first NFL start because he's going to – like I said, he's not going to get a lot of different looks. He's not going to be at the line of scrimmage saying, I don't know what I'm seeing. It's going to be pretty defined. There's not a lot of mystery. And that was one of the things I was really impressed with Sanchez, uh, you know, obviously just coming off the bench cold in the second quarter and coming out. And he, you know, he, he did what he needed to do. Obviously, there were some missed throws, but you look at that touchdown to Matthews in the red zone where uh, they come out. It's a four vertical concept yep. down in the red zone. He pumped fakes to the right to hold the safety and then makes a beautiful bucket throw to Matthews over the shoulder. Great throw. Uh, you know, the, the touchdown to Macklin where that was uh, a great you know, throw. On the run, he puts it low and, and off tight. schedule play, too, because it was supposed to be in the flat to Casey yep. who fell down. Casey was on the ground. Right. So, I mean, you know, he goes down. He makes a beautiful throw with the defenders back to him. He puts it right where it needs to be. So it, it'll be interesting. Look, this is an offense where. As long as you're on schedule and the and the quarterback is doing what he needs to do, you're going to be able to move the football. And the premise of this offense, quite honestly, is the ball is supposed to come out quick with timing and rhythm. Yep. And at times, obviously, over this part of the season, Nick Foles did not do that. So maybe some lost sight of the fact that this offense, as constructed, it's supposed to be quick hitting. And that was Mark Sanchez's game when he came out of USC. Everybody believed a quick-footed kid – not a big arm, but but compact delivery ball comes out. You know, not a powerful thrower, but could throw the ball very well between the numbers. Uh, so this offense theoretically fits him. And then you look at the run game. They really started to focus on that in the second half. Oh, yeah. Uh, you had that four-play 70-yard drive where they went sweep, inside zone, sweep. And inside zone. zone. Yeah, yeah. Was, yeah. Was, you know, a, a great drive uh, for the Eagles in that offensive line. Jason Kelsey. That was the first drive Gardner played, too. That's right. 
And you saw some power too. They they yeah. ran power a few times. They uh, ran power a few times. I was surprised. Yeah, they, yeah. That, was, that was a new little. Uh, you know, obviously they've run it in the past from time to time, but I think you saw it five or six times you on did. Sunday. Um, and then uh, really the return of Jason Kelsey, the screen game really came back. He is so it. good. Uh, yeah, he's great. And we were he, talking about that at lunch today. Yeah. I was I just said to Ron Jaworski because you know we he's always in films you know to do when we do the matchup show every right. week. And I just said to him, you know, Jaws, and I, I think he'd watched the Eagles already as I had. And I just said, you know, Jason Kelsey's so good. I mean, I think he's the best center in the league. Yeah, I mean, especially in terms of being able to get on the perimeter oh. and take guys out at the second yep. level. Um, you know, and he he missed a couple as well, which it was funny. Just you could see the frustration where typically he would get that guy to the ground and he would miss and he would clap his hands in frustration yep. and uh, you know look to get another guy. But look, I mean, him getting back and getting back into the swing of things, this offense is just only going to get better. Uh, you get Evan Mathis back hopefully this week, so that'll be another addition back to the line. So uh, things starting to come come together offensively. Now the loss of D'Amico Ryans, I said it earlier on the Eagles Insider Podcast with Chris McPherson and Bo Wolf. I think you feel a little bit better now than you would have, say, if this injury happened a month and a half ago Correct. when Michael Kendricks went down. Now that you've seen how Casey Matthews and Emmanuel Acho have played, you saw them what they did in Kendricks' stead, now they're going to have to step in for D'Amico. Yeah, and I know he was kind of a laughing stock for a couple of years, but I think Casey Matthews has, has held his own pretty well he's when he's gotten in. a chance to play. I mean, he's not D'Amico Ryans. We're not suggesting he's an all-pro. But I'll be anxious to see as we go forward, first of all, what the rotation is with Acho and, and Matthews, how they split the snaps. But I think Matthews has kind of settled in. Um, he does some things well, other things not so well, obviously. He's not a physical player. He's not going to sh- take on and shed blocks and stick you in the run game. He's more of a runner. But he certainly has not been a liability when he's been on the field. No, not at all. And, and the defensive line, I mean, what can you say about this oh. group again? They, really just holding down that uh, that Houston offensive line from the get-go. I counted 13 stretch plays, You know, and obviously that's the staple run play for the Houston Texans. 13 run plays from the stretch and 13 total yards yep. out of that play. So yep. uh, really just a great job of taking away their biggest weapon. Arian Foster got, you know, got one on one of those draw plays, but other than that really was limited Nothing. before he left with injury. Just a really great job by that defensive front. You know, and, and watching the film, and now that Michael Kendricks was back full-time because a week ago we just played in the sub-packages, it's given them more versatility because I love what they did with the nickel where he would line up as an outside linebacker. And by the way, he did a ton of that at Cal. He was an excellent outside blitzer in college. And now they have him outside as a blitzer where they kind of reduce the front in the nickel and he lines up outside and he's a very good blitzer. He is a dynamic, explosive player and I hope he can stay healthy because he, to me, he's one of those guys that has a chance to be an all-pro kind of player. He's he's really an explosive kid. Yeah, and he got after Aaron Foster in pass protection. Oh, a couple, a couple times. of times. A couple he, times he yeah, got him. Yeah, yep. Uh, so Kendricks, his, his return has been great. I thought the secondary, you know, after a week where they were uh, criticized a lot in the media and against the Cardinals, I thought they came back and, and fared pretty well. Obviously, you had you gave up the the touchdown to DeAndre Hopkins, which in, was in that the was a zone. really well designed play, exactly where they against got Hopkins, coverage. right, where they got Hopkins matched on Earl Wolf, and and you know. It's easy to rip Earl, Earl, Earl Wolf, but that was the, the concept of the play for. I don't know many safeties yeah. that would have stopped exactly. DeAndre Hopkins. On exactly, that play. exactly. Right, and, and you know, and then Arian Foster had the big play in coverage, and that, and that was a, a great design as well. So, uh, really, just a great day overall from the defense. Uh, look, it, it, recovering from the loss of D'Amico will be very interesting to see, and that, obviously that'll be the, one of the big storylines on Monday night. But uh, you got to be really happy with this defense right now. 
Uh, Darren Sproles returned to the lineup. Boy, is he good, too. He'd still be running if he caught that one Texas route in the fourth quarter. Oh, game. yeah, yeah. That was, that was a great design, and yep. you know, Sanchez put it right there. But, uh, look, you know, having him back That was fold, a case to me where you have a quarterback who hasn't played a lot with, with you know, because the timing was just a little off. Yep. Because, I mean, it's easy to say he should have caught it because he put it on him, but he turned his head around. Either it's Sproles getting his head around late, Sanchez throwing it a hair early, but the timing was just off. Yeah, it's good. It's, look, you know, one week later we'll see how this offense is right. on Monday night. Uh, let's let's get to the Panthers. We talked about them a little bit defensively. Offensively, look, I mean, uh, Cam Newton has been very up and down. They haven't been able to sustain a, a, a true run game either. Uh, outside, you know, Kelvin Benjamin is has been very, very good for them, but – other than that, they don't have a ton of really top shelf weapons. Greg Olson is obviously a very solid tight end, and you know, and is a dangerous guy that you have to account for. Uh, but you know, and then again, the offensive line. I mean, they've had a number of issues up front uh, with injuries and and really just subpar play. So uh, across the board, they've they've had their issues. Yeah, and this is an offense they put an awful lot on Cam Newton's plate. They literally build their run game around him, and obviously their pass game. He's the quarterback, but you know. I, one of the things we talk a lot about at films when we're each week doing the matchup show because you have Cam Newton, you have Kaepernick, who the Eagles have played. They'll see Russell Wilson in a number of weeks. Um, uh, I guess RG3, I don't know if he fits in that category anymore. you know. But uh, is these quarterbacks that you build your offense around them with a the run game, I'm just, I don't know if you can do that in the NFL. It's really hard to build your run game around the quarterback. But the problem with Cam is, in the past game, he's a very erratic scattershot thrower. And if he happens to be on in a given week, he can kill you because he can throw it hard and with accuracy. But then he has weeks, and he's had three weeks in a row now where he's been inaccurate, and he's missed throws. And his mechanics are not very good at times. So you don't know which Cam Newton you're going to get, but... He's a dangerous player in any given week. Yeah, he's a guy that can beat you at any given time. Right, right. Uh, and he's one of those guys, look, who he's going to have his bad games, he's going to have his bad quarters, he's going to have his bad drives, but at any point he can turn it on, and uh, you, you have to be wary of that. What have you seen from Kelvin Benjamin? Obviously has been one of the most productive sure. rookie receivers th th in, throughout the entire NFL so far. Really just a beast at the catch point, and mostly a vertical threat for them. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's what he thing. is at this point. Yeah. I think he has a lot to learn about route running. Yep. I don't think he's a very polished route runner at all. Um, but he's he's a contested catch guy. Yep. He's one of those guys who's open when he's covered. So, you know, my guess is Fletcher and Williams, when they're on him, they'll be on him, but he, still, he can still catch the ball. But he tends to drop a few easy ones. He has uh, over the last couple of weeks, yep. touchdowns. Um. Although the one last week was not a good throw. You know, it was another right. one of those yep, where you can say that you should have caught it, but it's really not a good throw. Right. And it was not a hard throw. And that's one of the things, too, that's interesting about criticizing Kelvin Benjamin for, you know, he's not a yards after catch guy and, uh, you know, he really hasn't done anything with the ball in his hands. Well, you know, look, the ball placement hasn't been really great. Yards after catch is a function of the quarterback's throw. Absolutely. You know, if, if the ball is not put right out in front where he doesn't have to break stride, you're not going to get yards after catch. Yeah, and when you factor that with the fact that, look, he is one of those jump ball guys, typically you don't get no. a lot of yards after catch on those jump ball vertical routes. So, uh, you know, obviously he's had, he's had his issues with uh, – you know, with those focus drops, but they use him as a vertical downfield weapon, those deep digs, those go routes, those posts. You know, the, he, he made a, a great catch against Seattle over Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas, uh, two of the best defensive backs in the league. So, 
he's going to be a guy that's going to be worth watching on Monday night. Yeah, now the Eagles, they're, they're, he's made some catches against cover two, which the Eagles don't play. The Eagles you know, play a lot of man. They play quarters and cover three is kind of their two basic zone concepts. They're not really a two-deep shell team at all. There's very few. I mean, I think, uh, God, you can probably go through some games and not see any cover two at all. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they, there were times, I think, when they played some two-man, but other than that, right, you right. haven't really seen much in cover two in terms of zone. Zone, correct, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, the, that'll be something that'll be interesting to watch. Uh, the other thing with them is the three by one sets. Whether it's Kelvin Benjamin yep. as the X or Greg Olson as the X. Yeah, Greg Olson. That, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a formation. Uh, I watch Carolina every week, and that's that's a, a formation and receiver distribution you see every week, and they throw it to Olson every week, where they have three wide receivers to the wide side of the field, and often Benjamin's in the inside slot, and then on the back side to the boundary is Greg Olson as the single receiver, and. Olsen can beat corners. That's the thing that makes this work is Olsen has shown the ability to beat corners. Uh, we've seen him do it all year long, and it, it'll be interesting to see how the Eagles choose to play that. If it's obviously man-to-man, they, they'll flop corners and match up probably a safety. If they're in some kind of cover three, I'm sure that it'll be a corner over them, which basically becomes man-to-man if you're going to run a rat outside the numbers. So, uh, But that's a formation and a personnel look you have to defend against Carolina. One of the things that's interesting, we, we talked about it a little bit off camera, uh, just kind of getting away from Carolina and, and this matchup. I think we've kind of touched on most of the things that we're going to hit on with this team. Uh, just looking around the division, you look at, at the Washington Redskins and really one of the big storylines is the return of RG3 and he got his first start against Minnesota. What did, what did you see from RG3 and uh, you know in his first start back? It was there? a rough outing. Yeah. Um, and you have to give him the benefit of the doubt because he missed uh, what, seven weeks? The last time he played was the first nine snaps, week two. Um, but I think there were a couple of disconcerting things. You know, he's never really been in a timing rhythm pass game like he is now. And I almost got the impression that you're starting from scratch with a rookie. That's yeah. the way he looked. He looked like he had a rookie quarterback playing in his first game and that assuming they go with him, and I'm sure they will, that you're going to have to live with the trial by fire. You're going to have to live with the learning curve. There's going to be mistakes. They should have won this game. If RG3 had played better, they would have won this game. He left plays on the field. But I think that's what you have to live with. Now, they gave up three leads in that game. If I, I think I read that correctly. I haven't watched the game. But uh, Teddy Bridgewater on the other side, how did how did he look against the Red You know, Sox? I haven't been through that side okay. of the ball yet, so I, I can't answer that. Um, but I saw some of that on TV. <clears throat> And I've watched Bridgewater in every game, and I will get to him. I just yeah. haven't, you right. know, it's Tuesday, Tuesday night. night. We yeah. haven't, you know, I couldn't get to that yet. Um, Teddy Bridgewater strikes me in some ways, and I said this uh, in the office today, and I kind of got, oh, yeah, that's not a bad comparison. He strikes me a lot like Alex Smith. Okay. I think he's a guy who knows where to throw it, knows how to play, doesn't force balls, checks it down, but does not throw the ball real well by any means. There are certain throws he can't make, uh, but – He'll give you a chance because you will not turn it over. I mean, Alex Smith every week seems to go 20 for 26, doesn't turn it over. I mean, the the Chiefs are the only team in the NFL without a touchdown to a wideout. You know, now that's wow. – I don't think that's the case. It's not the case with Teddy Bridgewater. But he's a similar kind of throw it sort of 15 yards in, move the chains, movement ability – that's that to I, me is what Teddy Bridgewater is. I think they only have six touchdown passes on the season. I think I read that's a, that. That's stat. about right. Yeah, I think yeah. I read that stuff because uh, they said that 
after Roethlisberger threw, uh, or no, it was after Brady had his one big day. They said, oh, you know, Brady threw X amount of touchdowns and uh, the Minnesota Vikings as a team right, only had six right. so far. So, right. um, you know, the, the, it's an interesting uh, kind of trend going on with that. Uh, looking around the league, continuing here. Dallas, have you, have you gotten a chance to look at that offense? with? Uh, no, but uh, one of my guys did, and the big thing in that game was they couldn't run the ball. In yeah. fact, they had averaged, I believe, going into that game over five yards a carry on first down. Right. And were running the ball on first down 20-plus times a game. In this game, they only ran the ball, I believe, on 12 first downs and averaged 2.4 on first down. So their run game got totally taken away. And it'll be interesting to see because they go to play a Jacksonville Jaguars team that, look, they didn't get off to the best of starts. But I think, the de especially defensively, I think they've kind of turned the corner a little bit. They've m played much better much defensively better. over the last month. Which is ex which is what happened last year, too. Right. Yep. And th that's actually going to be an interesting game. I was gonna Tomorrow morning I'm going to actually look at Cincinnati-Jacksonville just because I, I haven't seen Cincinnati in a couple of weeks. And, and I, I want to see them because you know, they're a winning team and could win a division. So I'll see them, obviously, from this past week against uh, – uh, Jacksonville. I know they intercepted Dalton twice. I don't know what what happened on those plays. Right. But uh, they gave up the long touchdown late, which sealed it to Jeremy Hill. Yep. But my sense was that their defense might have played okay. I mean, I I'm anxious to see the tape. Yeah. It, just look at you know. I haven't been able to watch them thoroughly, but just looking at the numbers, it seems like that you know defensively they're starting to yeah. turn the corner. And and look, we talked about it leading up to the season because we played them in week one. They've got you know some young players there and some talent, but. Look, that scheme and the way, the way Gus Bradley kind of uh, energizes that team, you, you think that they'll turn the corner, and they're, I think they're a team on the rise uh, in the coming years. Uh, all right, I think I'm going to get to my interview. I've got Josh Norris from NBC Sports and uh, Roto World, NFL draft analyst. We're going to talk a little bit Panthers and college football. But before we do that, Greg, and before I let you go, college football this week, did you catch any, uh, catch any of the big yeah, games? Yeah, I watched Auburn and um, uh, Mississippi, saw a ton of that game. Yep. I'm trying to think what the night game was. Yeah. Um, I lo you know, there's so many games on TV, it's crazy. But I did watch a ton of the Auburn-Mississippi, which was a really fascinating game, and I felt so badly for the kid Treadwell at the yep. end of the game. Because that kid's actually – I mean, he's a, a sophomore. He couldn't come out this year, but that kid's got a lot of talent. He was the, the number one receiving – the w number one wide receiver recruit in the nation by most services coming out of high school. So He, uh, was, he was ahead of Rookie Seals-Jones? I believe he was ahead of Rookie Seals-Jones in, in wow. some of those different uh, well, services. Well, they're so. both big kids. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it was very tough to see him go down with that injury. You got Obviously, you hope that – uh, you know, he gets a speedy recovery and comes back as a junior. And but that and could be a well. year. I mean, he may not. Yeah. It'll be interesting because I, you know, again, he's a big receiver. Um, I don't know how you know fast he is. You know, he he strikes me as. I I think he moves better than Anquan Bolden, but he's that kind of physical, big, hands catching guy. It seems like that's going to be the trend over the and it, it look it has been. I don't want to get into the word trend because I know that's. Right, right, you know, right. <laughs> well, everything's a every, trend. Everybody would like big and fast as opposed to small and fast. Okay, and I, I'm gonna. <laughs> I actually, I want to bring that. I'm glad that this came up because I have another topic that's very similar. But to my original point, a lot of these receivers coming out are some of these big kids that can move. A lot of these kids that probably well, they're basketball 15, players too. Exactly. Yeah. I was gonna say about 15 years ago they probably would have been basketball players, yep. and now it's you know would I rather be a six-five small forward or a six-five wide receiver? And they want to go and be a wide receiver or a tight end. Right, because you know it, it. It's better if if you have aspirations to a pro career, you're more likely to have one if you're a really talented six four six five wide receiver as opposed to being a six four six five. I'm sure a lot of these kids play power forward in high school, yeah. 
and they're not going to be power forwards in college. No, exactly. So, you, you know, you've got guys, and you saw it in this year's draft. I mean, the Martavis Bryants of the world who's coming in, and he's played very, very well in the last way, couple of weeks. The Steelers now have, in my view, and I've, I've watched them every week, the fastest wide receiver trio in the National Football League. Yeah. Brown, Marcus Wheaton, and, and, and uh, Martavis Bryant. They are fast. We both liked Bryant coming out. Yep. Obviously, you know, he had some issues, and that's why he kind of fell to the fourth round there. But uh, how has he looked? I, I mean, his role obviously has grown over the last couple of weeks. He's, he's produced at a very high level over the last three or four weeks. Yeah, no, he's used a lot of vertical routes. Yep. Um, and because they have Brown, who can do anything, and then Brown's their movable chess piece, and Marcus Wheaton's starting to play better as well. He he ran by, did, I don't know if you saw this, he ran by Ladarius Webb this week like Webb was standing still, and Wheaton, I watched him at Oregon State, and that's what he was at Oregon State, uh, and I thought he was somewhat of a complete receiver. It's taking him a little time. It's his second year. But they are fast. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you look at some of these other guys, just looking around, around the college football world, I mean, Mississippi State will stay in the state of Mississippi. They've got like, this kid, Deronia Wilson. Who's oh, he's another player. big kid. Yeah, another big kid who can move. Uh, I mean, Ricky Seals-Jones, you brought him up. Uh, you know, I'm, of course, now that I'm thinking about it, I can't think of these names. But uh, just kids all over the well, place. Well, there's a kid who I remember because I met him at Nike a number of years ago. I talked to him quite a bit. He's at UCLA now. He's also 6'3", Eldridge Massington. Oh, okay, yeah. You remember him? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Texas kid That's right. who ended up going to UCLA. That's right. I mean, I don't think he's – he plays and has done some things, but next year I'm sure he'll be their top guy. Yeah, and Cle Clemson, they've got this kid. Oh, man, his name is escaping me right now. He's a, a true junior, uh, and obviously he's getting a lot of the looks with um, Bryant and with Sammy Watkins not there this year. He just these big yeah, kids that can that, just yeah. fly down the field, and it's, it's really just unbelievable to watch. Uh, and it's across the football world. And while I brought up the the, the trend, the tr th that is all the trend right, now right, is to right. use the word that this is the new right. trend in the NFL. With the success of guys like Levante David, and this year it's been Telvin Smith. I've seen multiple people on Twitter, you know, a lot of the, a lot of analysts and writers say that you know guys like Telvin Smith are the new breed of linebacker in the NFL. I still think that there's a point, and obviously, look, that those kind of guys are what you want, but we've seen a lot of these guys that are the smaller, athletic-type players that don't pan out either, and there's, right. there are certain traits that you still need to have. Well, and it also then depends on offenses. I mean, all of a sudden, you have the Dallas Cowboys being a running team. I mean, where is off? It's, it's the larger question of where offense is going in the NFL. Two years ago, it was gospel that we were going to have Mobile quarterbacks, spread, that's what everybody was going to do. Yep. Well, it hasn't quite worked out that way. And while the sample size isn't large enough, the mobile quarterbacks like the Kaepernicks, the Newtons, have sort of leveled off right now. You know, are these guys going to be great quarterbacks or are they just going to be sports center highlights? There's a big difference between that. Uh, and, and then, you know, every week you watch a guy like Tom Brady continue to do it, a Drew Brees continue to do it, you know, pocket quarterbacks. So, it's a wait and see on where the quarterback position is going and where offense will be going. Will there always be now some form of spread with every team? Absolutely. But is that going to be a team's foundation? You know, and here in Philly, because of chip, we, that's what it is. But that's not necessarily the way it is across the league. I mean, the Saints essentially got back on track by running the football. 
right. and going to a fullback, going to multiple tight end sets. The Saints of Drew Brees and Sean Payton with all the you know all these past game concepts have gotten back on track by going to power football from the 1970s and 80s. Yeah, and say what you want about the Seahawks last year, but their number one strength was lining up with Marshawn Lynch and giving him the ball. And they're not doing that this year as much, and their offense is floundering. Yeah, it's it's really it's one of those debates that's yeah. uh, going to continue over the next few years until it kind of defines itself. All right, Greg, I think that's going to do it. Another week in the books here for the Eagle Eye in the Sky football podcast. Before we close it out. I want to get to my interview. I talked to him earlier today, my good friend Josh Norris, NFL draft analyst for Roto World and NBC Sports. Joining me now on the Eagle Eye in the Sky football podcast, NFL draft analyst from NBC Sports and Roto World, a proud Elon graduate, and my good friend of the business, Josh Norris. Josh, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, Fran, anytime. All right, Josh. Well, before we get into the college side of things, I wanted to first ask you about the Carolina Panthers. For Eagles fans that haven't watched them, what's something that they should know that no one in the media is really talking about right now? Well, last year it was all about the defensive line rotation. Obviously with Greg Hardy's absence, that's taken a hit. But I would say even more important than that has been the play of the interior of the defensive line. Previously, Starlo Tulule and Colin Cole have been the stars, really Cole being the run stuffer. Cole's play has tremendously dropped off this year. So much, in fact, that they're now starting to star at pretty much the one technique right next to the center. And then Kawan Short is now starting. Kawan Short has pretty much only played about 40 snaps per game in the past. But now with him as a starter, uh, I guess in the past two games, uh, he's really still playing at a high level. But that kind of alters their uh, rotation. And that alters their play, but it does get their two best defensive tackles on the field to start the game. Yeah, and you can kind of see the rotation there kind of manifest, manifesting itself where the, the Panthers have had some issues this season against the run. It's been very up and down for that defense. Uh, the next guy I wanted to – go ahead. Sorry. And, and, and a big issue has been – because we know Luke Keekley is a great player. We know Thomas Davis is a great player. But a big issue has been stopping those interior offensive linemen at the line of scrimmage and not allowing them to get to the second level. Um, I think any linebacker is going to struggle when they have to face offensive linemen at the second level, even as good of a player as Luke Keekley is, and that's happening much more often this year than it did last year. Changing sides of the ball, Kelvin Benjamin, obviously the rookie wide receiver, first-round pick. Has had a huge year. It's been a great year for rookie wide receivers, and Benjamin is kind of leading this group right now. What are your thoughts on Benjamin? How has he really come along so far in year one? Well, someone on Twitter, Matt Harmon, I have to give him a shout-out, he – termed the phrase the Kelvin Coaster, and it absolutely is apt because Kelvin Benjamin, as many good plays as he has, there are equally as many bad plays. Um, Kelvin Benjamin, I think he's further along in his development in terms of how he handles press coverage, how he's able to run a good amount of the route tree in terms of downfield, um, downfield routes. But when you drop easy catches over the middle, um, we've already separated that's a major issue. In fact, in the last two games, he's dropped two touchdowns. And I think the kind of trajectory and the narrative of those games would have significantly altered if he had come down with those catches. And they were very makeable grabs. Now, then you look at these highlight reel plays, going up and winning in 50-50 balls against Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman last week or, or two weeks ago, and, and having to um, make these tremendous sideline grabs. We know he can do those. But until he generates that consistency and until he generates being able to be a reliable target on first down conversions, his momentum and progression is really going to stop. And the biggest thing 
noting about his role finally is that he's purely a downfield receiver. Um, Fifty percent of his catches in college were ten plus yards down the field, and I would say it's the exact same thing this year. So don't look for him to be a yards after catch receiver close to the line of scrimmage. It's so funny to bring that up because I, I've been seeing some people on Twitter kind of killing Benjamin for not being a yards after catch threat. He wasn't that at Florida State. Right. That, that's just not his role. I mean, he's not Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, he's not someone that is going to win in the big and small game. The big game is where he wins. He's the downfield threat. And that's, I mean, and as many struggles as he has had in, in certain situations, you have to continue to ride him out this season because he is the team's number one receiver, and he's their only downfield threat. And so Greg Olson is that reliable target. Kelvin Benjamin, on the other hand, is your downfield target. And no, he's not going to pick up yards after the catch. In fact, they've only thrown one screen pass to him, and it didn't even pick up a yard. So don't, don't expect to see a lot of those. All right, let's 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 get into the college football world right now. One guy you're particularly high on is Notre Dame quarterback Everett Golson, a junior, you know, obviously one of these mobile guys that can make plays inside and outside the pockets his first year back as a starter. What have you seen from him? absolutely love Everett Golson, and I don't think there's been a player in college football that has progressed more from the last time we saw them, which wasn't last year, obviously, but to this year. Um, I mean, obviously he's throwing – with the laces, which adds to his velocity, which adds to his placement. But what's more important is how he succeeds inside and outside of structure. Um, you see plenty of occasions where he's willing to work through his progressions, find some workable space and the throwing lanes inside the pocket. But then you see him leave the pocket as well, and he can throw on the move. Um, there was one throw against Michigan that was Teddy Bridgewater-esque in terms of taking a huge hit on the end but throwing it 30 yards downfield along the sideline. Um, Ever Golson, there's no doubt in my mind that he is the number three quarterback prospect in this class behind Marcus Mariota, behind James Winston. And I don't understand how someone would rank a Brett Hundley or Connor Cook or any of the others over Ever Golson right now because he really does uh, give you the athleticism that you want, obviously, the position, and he gives you the patience and the progression work at the position. He's willing to throw in contested situations as well. Well, none of the one of these underclassmen quarterbacks, and obviously all these guys may go back for another year or two in college, so uh, we'll wait and see until the winter comes to, to what the decisions are with these guys. But kind of built from the same mold as Travon Boykin from TCU, another one of these athletic guys that can make plays inside and outside of structure. What have you seen from Boykin so far from TCU? Yeah, I just mentioned that Golson has probably emerged the most out of any of these quarterback prospects. I'd say that Boykin is probably the second most. Um, I remember a couple of years ago, he was downright terrible at quarterback. I mean, he was he was uh, kind of sharing time with Casey Paul, um, who was more of a gunslinger type, and then um, Boykin would come in and be the athletic quarterback. Well, now you see him winning inside of structure. TC uses a lot of motion. Um, a lot of their offensive coordinators or play callers come from Texas Tech, so you see a lot of the air raid concepts there. Um, he's doing very well with those. And you see him, he has a tremendous vertical arm. Now, I think recently we haven't seen that, especially because West Virginia, we really didn't see that. And I I think maybe the conditions played into that a bit, and that will play into an evaluation. But when you look at the other games, he's certainly throwing all the way downfield. And then when he does have to escape the pocket or move the pocket or, or move off his spot, he's much more willing to lift his eyes and reset and find receivers down the field much more than other prospects that are getting much more publicity at the position. Boykin has really emerged, and I, I would say he should probably come back. He probably will come back, but he's a name to look at for next year. 
It's getting to be that time of the fall, Josh, where the Senior Bowl invite list is going to start to leak out. And one of the names that I'm sure will be on there will be Reese Dismukes, the center from Auburn, a guy that you're pretty high on. Do you see him as a first-round talent? And I know this is a conversation you and I have had in the past. Are interior linemen deserving of being first-round talents? Yeah, um, I'm not sure if I see him as a first-round talent. Um, I, I see him as someone that can probably come in and contribute early on. I mean, I think the center position is probably one of the weaker talent pools in the NFL. Um, and you look at, I mean, true, uh, not true freshmen, but rookies in the NFL, like Luke Polanco and Corey Lindsley and Russell Bodine and Brian Stork are all starting right now or have had started at some point this season. Um, I don't think this music is a lesser talent to them at all. Now, is he someone that's going to drive block or really run his man off the line of scrimmage at all times? No. But like you mentioned, interior offensive line play might be even more important than offensive tackles because a tackle now is taught to ride an edge rusher around the pocket, and that forms the width of the pocket, and obviously the interior forms the depth of it, right, or, or forms kind of the, the structure of it. And if you can stop interior disruption because it's a shorter line to the quarterback, you're already a step ahead because your quarterback can climb the pocket. He can step up in the pocket and find some room to throw. And that's why I think interior offensive linemen are absolutely worth first-round selections. Josh, the last player I wanted to ask you about today, the brother of a current Eagle player, UCLA linebacker Eric Kendricks, the brother of Michael Kendricks, a former Cal linebacker, a former second-round pick. A ton of talent in that front seven at UCLA. He had a huge game week one against uh, UVA. He's had a, he's put together a really great season so far. What have you seen from Kendricks on the field? Yeah, and Miles Jack is running me gets all the credit, but Eric Kendricks is a real player. I mean, you, you mentioned that Virginia game, and what stood out to me, obviously he can stuff the run, he can fill gaps, he can attack downfield, but was how comfortable he was in coverage. There were plenty of times where he attacked a running back and ran the running backs route for him, either if it was an out pattern or a wheel route along the sideline. Um, we always talk about how linebackers look in coverage and how they might be two-down players or three-down players. And arguably, um, there are so many college linebackers that will never play in coverage in the NFL. Um, that, that, that's just not something that a lot of prospects are good at. I can firmly say that Eric Kendricks is good in that area. And if you're good in that area... We saw a Jaquan Williams, who was a late-round selection, play early on in his career just because he was good in coverage. I think Eric Kendricks will at least play in passing situations. And because he's shown a very well-rounded game against his run defense as well, he will absolutely be an early impact player, probably in all three downs. Yeah, you make up a good, you know, you bring up a good point because a lot of these big-name linebackers that are available right now, at least for, you know, looking at the senior class, you know, the Denzel Perrymans, uh, right. the A.J. Johnsons, the Trey Dupree's. Benardrick McKinney, these aren't necessarily guys that you're looking at and saying, wow, these are really quick twitch players that you want uh, playing in man coverage. So if Kendricks is going to show the ability to be able to play on the back end, it's going to uh, up his stock a little bit. Yeah, and, and if, if you want a dichotomy of, of the two differences, turn on A.J. Johnson and then turn on Eric Kendricks. <laughs> I, I think it'll be easy to tell who is better in this situation. No question about it. Josh, thanks again for coming on. We'll have to have you on again as we get closer to the Senior Bowl later on this fall. Absolutely, Fred. Talk to you soon. All right, that's going to do it. Another week in the books here at the Eagle Eye in the Sky Football Podcast. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. We'll join you back here next week at the Novacare Complex on Wednesday after hopefully 
a big win from the Philadelphia Eagles Monday night against the Carolina Panthers.